Hey, welcome back. This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson of Not Just Another Fitness Podcast for Fitness Geeks Only. This week we are talking about the, I guess you could say maybe semi-controversial topic of fasted cardio and why my bias is I'm a fan of fasted cardio, which probably goes against kind of the more popular opinion now, but opinions tend to sway from one extreme to the next extreme in fitness all the time. So today we're going to talk about what are some of the more long-term studies looking at the effects of fasted cardio. And off the bat, I will say that this is not intended to be an absolute review of every single study in this area, nor are we going to get down into the complete weeds on every single study. So if you want to send me uh, cherry picking emails, you can start typing right now. The point of this is just to provide some data uh, that has looked at this topic and what are kind of the pros and cons of this and what is the consensus of the data in this area. So whenever you usually mention the term fasted cardio and a chronic study, uh, the first one that most fit pros, which that's a word I absolutely hate. Uh, fitness professional, yes, that sounds good. Fit pro, I don't know why I just dislike that word. Uh, the only word I dislike more than that right now is fitpreneur, which, which just sounds horrible. But anyway, um, so the main chronic study in here that you'll hear is from uh, Dr. Brad Schoenfeld or Dr. Broenfeld, entitled The Body Composition Changes Associated with Fasted Versus Non-Fasted Aerobic Exercise. Uh, this is at the JISSN. This is from 2014, Journal of International Society of Sports Nutrition. It is open access, so you can go read the study yourself, which I would highly recommend. That's why we're telling you where all these studies come from, so you can go read them and come to your own conclusions also. Uh, what they did is they looked at 20 healthy young female volunteers. They were randomly assigned to one or two experimental groups. So they had the fasted group that performed their aerobic training after an overnight fast. And they had the postprandial training group or the fed group where they consumed a small meal prior to exercise. They did one hour of steady state aerobic exercise and they did this for three days per week. Subjects were provided with a customized dietary plan that put them in about a 500 calorie, or I should say 500 cal calorie deficit. So they were in a deficit, so we would expect them to lose weight. They did all the good stuff they do with having nutritional counseling to make sure that their adherence was there. Granted, they did use self-report food intake, which has its pitfalls, but I understand that that's uh, common to use and like we said before, if unless you're going to lock people up in an area and not allow them to do any part of their life, it's one of those realities of working with research. A meal replacement shake was provided either immediately prior to exercise for the fed group or immediately following for the fasted group. And again, this was carried out under supervision of a research assistant. 
What they found was that probably not surprising is that both groups did show significant weight loss and they did show significant fat mass loss, but there was no significant difference between groups looking at any other outcome measure. So their conclusion was, quote, uh, these findings indicate that body composition changes associated with aerobic exercise in conjunction with a hypocaloric diet are similar regardless whether or not an individual is fasted prior to training. Now, how this study was set up, I think that you can probably theorize that this is the result that you would see. So a couple things about this, and again, this is not trying to be uber critical of the study. Whenever you write a study, you have to pick one direction, right? So I did a study looking at energy drinks and I had to choose between picking a ride to exhaustion or what's called uh, time to volitional fatigue, or I could try to do a time trial. So a time trial is more like an actual racing or sporting performance. Right? A marathon, even though it's long, is kind of considered a, a form of a time trial, right? Complete X distance and what was your time? Or we can fix the time and see how far you can go, right? So if it's a 20-minute ride, whoever can ride farther is going to be the winner. As opposed to just ride to volitional fatigue, you're seeing how far you can ride and you're just going until you can't go anymore. I actually went back and forth on what design to use and I ended up using the ride to fatigue um, because a lot of the early research on caffeine, that's what they had used. Um, the other part too is with the time trial, how you pace the event makes a big difference. So if you have more advanced cyclists, they're probably pretty good at pacing to get a little bit better outcome. If you have people who are new, they can see big changes from one trial to the next just by getting better at pacing without even really any other physiology changes. So now you've got to figure out there may be a learning effect. Okay, how do we get them accustomed to the equipment? We have to do a few trials beforehand to make sure that the learning effect is not present. Oh man, now I took these people who are volunteering their time. I'm not paying them. I had them do three conditions, a baseline condition with a max test, and then two different condition rides, both do volitional fatigue. So these are not fun things to do with big tubes jammed in your mouth and you're drooling all over the place. And my uh, now wife at the time was one of the uh, nice volunteers that helped with the study. So it's not a lot of fun. So now if I'm asking them to add two more trials to that, let's say, now they got to come into the lab five times, and if you start having people drop out, you will not have the other condition. So you may have one condition if they only drop out at the end, has, let's say, seven people, and the other one only has four. Now your whole study is screwed because you don't have enough statistical power to tell you anything. So again, whenever we do studies, there's always a trade-off in what you're actually doing. So one of the downsides of this study is that they did not use a metabolic cart. Uh, so we don't know what actually was the fuel being used at that time, which again, some people may argue, and I would probably agree that maybe that matters, maybe it doesn't. 
uh, how this trial was set up, it probably doesn't make a big difference other than it would be interesting um, to look at, probably have hypotheses for other trials to go. And this study was done with everybody in the same caloric deficit, right? So the research that we've seen in terms of total calories burned, not a huge difference between fasted versus not fasted cardio. So if we clamp or what's called a hold calories the same, we would expect that weight loss is probably gonna be pretty similar. So this does support the notion, which I do agree with, that if you are adding aerobic training to your exercise program, which I think you should, even if your goal is just weight training and hypertrophy, that when you are doing this, it is a good idea to prioritize just getting the work done. Um, do whatever you can, get the work done. That is by far and away the biggest thing to do. So am I a fan of fasted cardio? Yes. Is that an excuse to not do cardio? In my opinion, no. Still do your darn cardio, your aerobic training. It is beneficial. What would be interesting is if the study did not necessarily clamp calories. So a further hypothesis may be, and there's some data to support this, if you are better at using fat as a fuel source during fasted cardio, does that have a beneficial effect on appetite regulation? I'd say the data on that is really mixed. We don't have a ton of data in that area. My hypothesis is that Yes, if you are better able to use fat during fasted cardio, that would be beneficial related to appetite, meaning you may not get as hungry after exercise, right? So the data looking at how exercise affects appetite, it's kind of across the board. High intensity exercise is very split. Some people get super hungry, some don't. Uh, lower level intensity does not really seem to drive up appetite as much, looking at the literature as a whole. So I've wondered if a subset of that is the better able you are to use fat as a fuel. Can you kind of sneak out more calories from the system without getting more hungry? Now, again, this study was not designed to do that, and they did clamp calories on purpose and they did not see a huge difference between fasted versus not fasted cardio. So of course, everybody online is then, oh yes, look at this study, this is extremely robust. Everybody change your mind, fasted cardio is just worthless, don't waste your time. And I would kinda I disagree with that. So do we have any other data looking at this? And like I said, this is not intended to be an entire uh, literature review, there is some other data. Um, this one I thought was super interesting. So the effect of fed versus fasted state resistance training. So again, we're changing modes here. During Ramadan on body composition and selected metabolic parameters in bodybuilders. Like, wow, this is a very interesting study. So what they did is they actually found Muslim bodybuilders that were doing training during Ramadan. And they're looking at the effect of resistance training in a fasted versus a fed state during Ramadan on body composition and metabolic uh, parameters. Now again, this is resistance training. This is not low level aerobic training. 
but I thought the study population was so fascinating, I just wanted to review it. So what they did is they actually found 16 men and they split them up into two groups. They had one group practicing resistance training in the late afternoon in a fasted state. Uh, the other eight were in a late evening and an acutely fed state during Ramadan. They actually got everybody to come into the lab two days before, got in a bunch of measurements. They looked at body mass, a body percentage. What they found was that body mass and body fat percentage remained unchanged in the fasted and the fed group during the period of the investigation. Uh, they looked at a bunch of other markers and creatinine and chloride, a bunch of stuff we just won't bother you with. But their conclusion was, quote, uh, hypertrophic training in the fasted or in a fed state during Ramadan does not affect body mass and body composition of bodybuilders. Additionally, Ramadan fasting induced changes in urinary and some biochemical parameters, but these changes were not different when training to when the training occurred. So they did see some differences, but at the end of the day, did they get more jacked? Uh, no. So it didn't make a huge difference um, in that population. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, there's a, one other study I wanted to highlight here also. Again, the point of this is not to spend a whole bunch of time looking at every single study we could possibly uh, look at. But if we skip ahead, uh, this one is the effect of aerobic exercise performed in a fasted versus a fed state on fat and carbohydrate metabolism in adults. Uh, this is a systematic review and also a meta-analysis. We can debate if meta-analysis are really at the top of the evidence food chain. I would say they're definitely up there. So meta-analysis, we're trying to take a bunch of other studies. We're using a bunch of statistics stuff. We're pooling all that data together and we're looking to see if we can get some other conclusions from it. Um, so I like this because this is a very cool review. I'll put the reference in here. The lead author here is Vieira, uh, V-I-E-I-R-A. And you can find this uh, published in the British Journal of Nutrition, uh, 2016. So I'm not going to go through the whole entire thing here. Uh, but what was great is they were able to pool a whole bunch of data together and they identified 27 studies. So this gives them a total of 273 participants. So pretty good from pooling of data, especially in kind of a, a niche area between different groups. Uh, they did look at different things like a glucose, insulin concentrations, and some other factors in there. But if we just skip ahead in the interest of time to the conclusion, which yes, I know is very dangerous and skips over a bunch of other details, but uh, they did state, uh, quote, we conclude that aerobic exercise performed in the fasted state induces higher fat oxidation than exercise performed in the fed state. Now again, this uh, study wasn't really powered and necessarily looking at body composition uh, I wish they would have, but the amount of studies looking at that related to body composition are just very, very slim and few in between. Uh, but this does give us more data to support our notion that if you are doing aerobic training at lower to moderate intensity, 
that we are seeing more fat that is being used as a fuel source. Now, does that 100% translate to amazing changes in body composition? I would say the journey on that is still out. My prediction, though, is that it does help. In worst case, it is probably not going to go the wrong direction. If anything, doing fasted cardio may help a little bit with body composition. Again, getting the work done is going to be far and away the biggest thing. We do know that we have a fair amount of data now that you are acutely using more fat as a fuel source. And if this goes back to metabolic flexibility, that is making you more metabolically flexible, which I believe is an advantage, like we talked about with energy flux, possible uh, effects on body composition and appetite regulation, right? You're making it easier to make changes in the system. And that can result, I think, in better body composition. Now, again, has all that been proved out by a randomized controlled trial? No. Another slide too is that, do you really need carbohydrates to do low to moderate intensity fasted exercise? I would say no, right? Or I should say just exercise in general. Uh, not at low intensities, right? So you don't really need carbohydrates to have higher levels of performance at low to moderate intensity. Uh, at high intensities, yes. So my argument here is that body composition changes on a chronic effect. Eh, not a ton of data there. The data we have says just do your aerobic training first then worry about the state that it's in. If you can do fasted aerobic training, I do think that it is beneficial, but I will agree that the effect on the body composition is lower, but I think that in some athletes, we will find that it'll be easier to regulate appetite having done kind of fasted state cardio. Now, again, this is anecdotal, but what I find in people doing that fasted lower intensity cardio most people don't report that they get super hungry after they usually feel pretty good i think it's a way to increase some parameters of health and sneak a few more calories out of the system so that's my thoughts on that let me know what your thoughts are if you want more information go to flexdiet.com f-l-e-x-d-i-e-t.com I have a certification that I put together there that looks at eight different interventions related to nutrition and recovery, uh, how to do them. We've got awesome interviews from Dr. Stu Phillips, Dr. Jose Antonio, Dr. Hunter Waldman, Dr. Eric Helms. We've got Dr. Stephen Guillenay talking about appetite regulation. Uh, lots of good stuff there in addition to the framework that you can then apply to your clients for an entire system to do nutrition and recovery, which makes your life infinitely easier. So go to flexdiet.com, F-L-E-X-D-I-E-T.com. Talk to you tomorrow. Well, they say all good things come to an end. What's that got to do with this show? <laughs> <laughs>